0: have been in this sermon series, Modern Family, Vintage Values. There has been an all-out attack on the family. The family is the creation and innovation of God. And since he is the creator of the family, he gets to define what a family unit is and how the family is to operate. And so we've been in this series, Modern Family, Vintage Values. And so today, and next week, I simply want to focus on communication. And so we're going to see some of that. We'll have some application uh, in that found in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Since y'all are already standing, I'll do my introduction after we read the text. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 17. Ephesians 4, verse number 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. If you are looking for truth, the text says it's in Jesus. What's their truth? To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk Come out of your mouth, for only such is good for building up. That's fitting for the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have your seats. Eventually, we'll be talking about grace-filled communication. Grace-filled communication. We won't have an outline for you this morning, so I'll try to make it very clear to you, the outline for today's sermon. Point number one. Paul makes it very clear that his point is do not live like non-Christians. Do not live like non-Christians. This section is verses 17 through 19. Ephesians chapter 4 Begins with this admonition admonition from the Apostle Paul. He says, I urge you, brothers, to, to walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, Paul is saying, now that you've been called to this hope that you have in Jesus Christ, You've been called to salvation. You've been called to sanctification. And eventually you will have this calling to glorification where you will be like Christ. He says, now that you have this new identity in Jesus Christ, your behavior ought to reflect it. You are are already new in Christ. You are already united in Christ. So therefore, be what you already are now let me stop here and make something clear because our our sermon text today has a lot of commands do this don't do that do this and don't do that and if we're not clear we'll see christianity or or we'll see we might perceive paul to be a legalist or a moralist what do you mean Legalists, we may think, uh, paint the Apostle Paul as a legalist because we do think that if you just fulfill God's law, then you'll be right with God. That's legalism. Moralism is if you're just a good person, then you'll be pleasing to God or, or right with God. And Paul, nobody could call Paul a legalist or a moralist. Paul was, let me make up a word, a gracist. Paul believed that we are justified by faith alone and Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Four, before you can get to four, you still got to go through one, two, and three. Ephesians 1, Paul says, God has chosen you before the foundation of the world. Oh, that ought to made you shout right there. You ought to be running around here that God, you were on God's mind before he was on your mama's mind. That's how special you are to God, that he was on your mind before he ever said, let there be, he was thinking about you and how he was going to save your soul. Ephesians 1 talks about how God chose us before the foundation of the world. It talks about how we have now received redemption through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about how through the Holy Spirit, we have now been sealed for the day of redemption. So there's this Trinitarian work in Ephesians chapter 1. And all he's doing there is talking about who we are and what God has done for us. Then in Ephesians 2, he begins with this. Now you were dead. I like Ephesians because 1, chapter 1, talks about God. Then Ephesians 2, he says, now how you relate to God, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You separated from God but God, you you have been saved by grace through faith. Nothing of your own, so nobody can boast. You've been saved by grace, and now you are the workmanship of Jesus Christ, the poem. You are the, the, the master artwork of God through Jesus Christ. And then, so he talks about us individually in the first part of chapter two, But then in the latter part of chapter 2, he talks about our corporate identity. The first part of chapter 2 deals with our individual identity. Second part deals with our corporate identity. Because he says, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, but now you are one new man. Corporately, God has created this new creation, this new community called the church. And so, now, no longer be divided over Jew and Gentile distinctions, but be united over your oneness in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 3, he talks about through the church, the glory of God should be manifested. Ephesians 1 through 3 deal with our identity, who we are. now, Paul is going to transition. Chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians, he moves from identity to, now this is how you live out that new identity, who you are. So Paul is never starting with commands, rules, or regulations. He always deals with this is who you are. Because of who you are, this is then how you live. This is completely different from very legalistic backgrounds because in in legalistic type churches, they start with do this. Don't do that. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss. That just sent all of us to hell. Quit playing. I know you got your advice. Uh, I just didn't call it out. But for Paul, it's not just don't do this to be a good Christian. It's you have been saved. You are holy. So then be holy. There's a difference here. So Paul starts out by saying this is who you are. So now you ought to believe this way. For Paul, listen to this. Imperatives always follow indicatives. Y'all ain't saying that because you didn't listen to English class either. <laughs> Imperatives always follows indicative. What's an imperative? An imperative is a command. What's an indicative? An indicative is a statement of fact. For Paul, he says, let me give you this statement of fact. You've been saved by grace through faith. That's the indicative. You are saved by grace through faith. Now, here's the imperative. Act like you're saved. That's how Paul works. For Paul, it's always, he starts with calling, what follows is the command. For us, transformation, sanctification works because we start with who are we? We are one with Christ. And that's what Paul does in chapters 1 through 3. He gives us these indicatives, and then he goes to the imperatives. Because we are, we do. So Paul, now, after confirming to the Ephesians their new identity in Christ, he says, this is how you should conduct yourself. And he starts with a negative command in chapter 4, verse 17. And he says, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. The first question that a serious student of the text has to ask is, who are the Gentiles? And the reason you have to ask yourself this question is because in chapter 2, this is what Paul says, verse 11, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh were separated from Christ, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In chapter 2, Paul specifically calls these readers Gentiles that are now converted, and are now members of the family of God. So why would a couple of chapters before, he called them Gentiles, and then in chapter 4 he says, now don't be like Gentiles. That word Gentile comes from the Greek word ethne. Let's uh, Let's speak Greek together. Everybody say ethne. All right, now you know a new language. That's where we get our word ethnic from. So that word ethnic can be translated Gentile, but it is also translated nation, pagans, heathens. So Paul's admonition to his readers here is simply, don't be like pagans. Don't be like heathens. In other words, don't live like non-Christians. In today's vernacular. Now why would Paul tell them not to live like Gentiles or pagans? He starts out by saying, let me share with you their depraved nature. He says they are futile in their minds. In other words, he says their minds are fixed on worthless things. Their minds are fixed on things that have nothing to do with God. Not only are they futile in mind, but they are darkened in their understanding. In other words, their minds have, have not yet been illumined in regards to their understanding of God or even their impending judgment. And Paul says, as a result, They have been alienated from the life of God. They they, they have been completely separated from eternal life that comes from God. I think an intimation of the text is Paul is teaching us that life apart from God and his son is ultimately meaningless. Life apart from God and His Son is ultimately meaningless. Paul says, you don't want to be like the Gentiles because they, they, they are just ignorant because of their hardness of heart. Verse 19, he says, matter of fact, they have just become callous. In other words, they have become dead to feeling. They, they are no longer affected are convicted by their sin, they sin and if they don't feel anything. They continue in sin and they are not bothered one bit by what they are doing. And Paul says, because of their depraved nature, here are their practices. They've given themselves up to sensuality. The word sensuality means there's a lack of moral restraint. Paul, he's talked about, he said, don't live like Gentiles because this is what Gentiles are like or pagans or heathens are like. And he all of of a sudden in verse 20, he stopped and it's like he shouts out, but that is not the way you learned Christ. You cannot live like a pagan because that is not how you learned Christ. This is a very interesting sentence if you think about it. This is not the way you, here it is, learned Christ. Well, I say that's interesting because me, I can learn a language. When I was a young kid, I learned the alphabet. I learned how to read. But you don't typically learn a person. Paul says this is not how you learned Christ. Paul is saying that when it comes to... To being a disciple of Jesus Christ. By the way, that word learned right there in that sentence comes from the same word that we get disciple from. In other words, Paul says when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is both the professor and the curriculum. He's both the teacher and the content. Because we learn a person, it also means that we have a deep, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So now, Paul is going to say, tell us, this is what you actually learned about Christ. Verses 22, 23, and 24 all start with, another English term, indicative. I lied. Infinitives. Ask your wife what that means. I don't know. They all start with infinitives. Infinitives, think about it. I went to see, there's your infinitive. To plus a simple verb. To see, to look, to do, to something, something, another. Now, people that really know grammar, they can identify infinitives without the keyword to. That ain't me. They all begin with infinitives, and those are clues that now Paul is about to tell us, this is what you learned about Christ. Number one, he says you learned to put off the old self. Put off the old self. Why? Because that belongs to your old way of life. Your old person is corrupt, depraved, and it's full of deceitful desires. Put that off. Then he says, put off the old self. Next infinitive. And be renewed by the spirit of your minds. Be renewed by the spirit of our minds. Why do our minds need to be renewed? Go back to verse 17. He said, your minds are fixed on worthless things. So it needs to be renewed. They need to be renewed to focus on God, the will of God, the people of God. And then Paul notes here that it is the Holy Spirit that is the agent of renewal. Put off the old self. That's what you learned. You also learn that you need to be renewed by the Spirit. But then thirdly, here's the key one, that you got to put on the new self. If I were really being creative here, here's where, this is what I would title this section. My wife used to watch this TV show, and it was called What Not to Wear. All the ladies just went, yeah. And all the men that are learning to live with their wives according to knowledge, just went, yeah. Paul is simply telling us this is what you don't wear. This is what you should wear. And some of us need a spiritual makeover because we are wearing the wrong attributes and characteristics. We wear meanness, jealousy, envy, hatred, prejudice. And Paul says, you didn't learn Christ that way. That's not the Christ that you were saved by. Don't wear that stuff. Put on this stuff. Put on this new person. that's been created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, remember I told you earlier, verse 22 through 24, they all begin with infinitives. To put on the new man, to be renewed, to this. Now, all right, we're going to push you a little harder here. All of these infinitives are in what's called the middle voice. Hang tight. The So you have the active voice the middle voice and the passive voice. I'm telling you this for a reason. I'm not just trying to show off my little learning. Active voice means if I'm the subject and I do something that's an active voice. I preach or maybe not. I hit the ball. I Hit is the verb, and it's in the active voice, because I am performing the action of the verb. That's active voice. If my son, BJ, throws the ball, and he's very flicted when he throws, and he hits me with the ball, I would say, I was hit by the ball. When I say, was hit, that's in the passive voice. I'm the subject, but I didn't do the action. I received that action. That ball hit me. I didn't hit it. It hit me. That's passive voice. So then the middle voice means that the subject performs the action for themselves. They receive some benefit from the action that's been performed. Put on the new self for yourself. Here's the point. The fact that it's in the middle voice means that when it comes to sanctification, becoming more like Christ, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. You don't realize that you just wandered into deep water. Because there is a big debate in the Christian world about whether we cooperate with the Holy Spirit or if our sanctification is all just the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a big deal. Now, let me stop and make something very clear. We do not cooperate when it comes to salvation. Salvation, church, is all a work of God from beginning to end. Ephesians 2 says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. What do dead people do? They just keep dying or decaying. A dead person cannot contribute to coming back to life. Why? Because they're dead. That's why salvation has to be all of God. God gives us the Holy Spirit, which is the breath of God, and when he puts the breath back in us, that which is dead comes to life. It is all of God. Now, once we come to life, once we are a new creation, now we are on this ongoing process for as long as we live to become more like Christ. We are being conformed, renewed, transformed into this, to the glory of God, to this image of Christ. For as long as we live, it's a lifelong process. Now, we've, now we've gone from death to life. We are a new creation. We are a new man. And now, We cooperate with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to change. But we can't, at that moment, begin to resist the work of the Holy Spirit within us. That's why we are commanded, later on in Ephesians 5, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does filled mean? That means to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Why would Paul command that for us? unless there was this power to not be under the control. And so I'm trying to help you here because if you ever have this argument, no, when it comes to sanctification, not salvation, when it comes to sanctification, us becoming more like Christ, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to do his job. He's God. He's going to do what he does. But we have the power to not yield to the leading Of the Holy Spirit, because we there's still the remnants of this old man in us. We're still going to suffer with this sinful nature until we see Christ again. And so that sinful nature is always trying to get its way. That flesh in us, it's always trying to get its way. You you are a walking civil war. I've told you that before. The flesh and the spirit are always fighting against one another. The flesh wants what it wants, the spirit wants what its God wants. And so the fact that those infinitives are in the middle voice means that we must cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. Y'all saying, Brandon, I hear you. You've been preaching for 30 minutes and talked about and said that this sermon here was about modern family, vintage values. What does this have to do with marriage? Well, in verses 25 through 32, I just titled this section, Let's Get Practical. Let me just say this. Oftentimes, in our marriages, we behave more like pagans than we do children of God. If you want to go in some of our homes and hear some of the arguments, the fights, the battles that are going on, it looks like World War III, and we all claim to be believers in Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying You are a follower of Christ. You did not learn Christ in that way, so don't love your wife in a way that is contradictory to Christ. Verse 25, what is the first thing he says? He says, number one, here's what the new self looks like. He says, verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Paul is going to do something for us here in verse 25 to 32. He's going to start off with a negative command, a positive command, and a reason for those commands. Watch 25, negative, put away falsehood. Positive, speak truth. Reason, we're members of one another. We'll see that as we continue to go. In other words, Paul is simply saying, Stop lying. Those who are followers of Jesus Christ should be known as truth-tellers. Speak the truth with your neighbor is what the Apostle Paul says here. Just so you know, every person in your family is your neighbor. Here's why truth matters. Because truth is the bedrock Of trust I don't know about you but I don't trust liars the people that I get along best that I get along with best are people that shoot straight look at who I married that's between you and I in our families Some of the reasons, maybe one of the reasons, that there's a lack of trust, whether it's between spouses, between parents and children, whomever, is because we don't tell the truth enough. This is free. I won't even charge you for this this week. Not telling the truth, even when it's hard truth, to your neighbor is a passive passive form of hatred. The Bible says speak the truth in love. It is an act of love to tell the truth to somebody about their sin, their wrong, their, their fault in them, according, the fault according to God's word, not your opinion. If you don't speak the truth in love, if your spouse is doing something that's uh, 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 contrary to the word of God, and you don't tell, the, tell them the truth that this is sin against their most holy God, it's a passive form of hatred. But yet every day you tell them you love you, I love you. You don't love your spouse, your children, your, 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 your extended family enough to tell them the truth. If you want to build trust in your relationship, stop lying to one another. Here we go. Now, for that person who wants their spouse to tell them the truth all the time, make it safe for your spouse to tell the truth. Some of our spouses don't want to tell us the truth because if they tell us the truth, you get all defensive and then you get angry and you get mad and now it's a whole nother fight just because they spoke the truth to you. One of the things my my wife and I learned in counseling was in order for her to speak the truth in our relationship, I had to set the table for her to know it's okay to talk and be honest and transparent, truthful, and some of us are so volatile that nobody wants to tell us anything. So Paul says, "The one way you don't act like a pagan is stop lying and telling the truth. And only should you stop lying and start telling the truth." Verse 26 he says, "Be angry and do not sin. Do not, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Do you notice anything that's contrary to what we actually are told most of the time in verse 26? First two words. Be angry. Remember we were talking about forms of speech or, or earlier, and I told you about indicatives, imperatives. Be angry. Imperative. Paul says be angry. It is commanded for believers to be angry about the things that make God angry. Though You can't just get angry because you didn't get your way. Because there was this unfulfilled expectation. No, no, no. We ought to be angry about the things that make God angry. Injustice. Oppression. Abuse. You ought to be angry about those things. When God God gets angry about sin, if it makes God angry, then it ought to make God's children angry. You ought to be angry about something. Jesus, you think Jesus got angry? Jesus went into the temple, started turning things over. You ought to be angry about things. There was hyperinflation in the temple. People were being overcharged for animals that they were going to sacrifice in the temple. Jesus said, this this, this ain't right. There are some things you ought to get angry about. We call that righteous indignation. But he says, be angry And do not sin. Because there is a sinful anger. Paul says be angry. But don't sin. Then he says. Let me give you this principle. If You're going to get angry. And you're not sinning. Don't let the sun. Go down. On your anger. Now. There are some people that take that literally. when my wife and I earlier early in marriage. Just one of the things she would quote. I was the angry one. And that's the verse she would quote. I'm getting to bed. Now, I'm not going to bed because when I'm angry and I'm perturbed about something, I can't sleep. My wife, it don't matter to her. She's like, well, there'll be the morning if the Lord lets us live. We'll deal with it in the morning. She go to sleep. And I'm like, how you sleep and we ain't cool right now? My body's tired. I'm angry. My wife tell me, don't let that don't remember the God's word says, Don't don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, some people take it literally. Most biblical scholars say this is more of a principle. Don't let your anger linger. For some of us, we may have to apply it literally. But he's given us a principle here. Your anger should not linger. It should not be Ongoing. Deal with your issues. Now, there are times where you do start feeling some type of way. You are in your emotions. We are emotional people. God gave us our emotions. So there are some times where I I feel myself, I'm feeling defensive. I'm feeling myself starting to get upset. I'm getting angry. And so my wife and I know now Look, I need to time out. Let me me go get myself together so I can act like an an adult and make sure you feel safe when we have this conversation. Because we're going to have this conversation. But I'm aware that I'm I'm starting to get angry. So there may be a time where, you know what, we got to wake up early in the morning, So, and I'm feeling some type of way. Let's just sleep on it. But we're going to address this at at this point in time. Don't just leave it abstract. Make an agreement. You take a break at 10 o'clock. I take a break at 10 o'clock. At 10 o'clock, we're going to get together and we're going to deal with this issue. Or well, first thing, we're going to have breakfast together and we're going to deal with this issue. And so there may be times where your, your anger momentarily goes longer than you would like or one would like, but because they need to get their emotions in check so that other person can be safe. And so that in your anger, you don't sin. I didn't start charging y'all for this free counseling that y'all getting. <laughs> Be angry. Don't sin. Don't let your anger linger. Because if you let it anger, Paul says, you're going to give an opportunity for the devil. That word opportunity, it means a room. Satan is looking for a room to check into in your house to bring division, sin, this unity. When you let your anger linger, Satan says, "I got you. I see an opening." This is what, the other reason you don't want to let your anger linger, because Jesus said anger is the beginning of murder. Anger can, can, can take you further than you ever want to go. Let's get practical. Stop lying. Be angry. Do not sin. Verse twenty-eight let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need pretty straight to the point stop stealing work hard so you can share now Christians you good Christians you read this you like I'm good but from an application standpoint I like to push the envelope Stop stealing time from your employer. I have this, this one individual that I know. He works in a um, environment where he or she <laughs> has access to the employer's supplies and so, when they run out of tissue at the house, they just go into the janitor's closet or the custodian's closet or whatever it's called, get them some new cleaning supplies. Stop stealing. If you're an employed and tell you you can have it, it ain't yours. Child of God. Work hard. Remember, there's this negative command, there's this positive command. Now, he's going to give us the reason. This is so countercultural right now. Work hard so you can go and spend it all on yourself. Work hard so you can get more. That's what the culture says. You work hard, you get more. You get a bigger house, a nicer car. They go to a, your kids can go to a nicer private school. Yada, 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 yada. That's what the culture says. But the Bible says you work hard so that you can share with those in need. Giving should be one of the top characteristics of a believer in Jesus Christ. Because how did God show his love? He gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ. You work hard so you can share to the one in need. Now, I'm not saying you you put all your money to somebody else and you neglect your home. That's not biblical either way. A person that doesn't work is don't eat. So we have a responsibility to take care of our family. But we also have a responsibility to share with the person that they need. We saw that when we were studying the book of Acts. What did they do? They had all things in common. Nobody had lack. That's what Christian community ought to look like. I believe this. There ought to not be one person at the British church that has lack. If we are all doing our responsibility financially, when, when let me use an example, Aaron. Can I use an example? Carissa, can I use an example? If Aaron has a need, good, I don't care, I'm not. Aaron. If Aaron has a need, in the body of Christ, we ought to be able to meet that need. Alright, we gotta go. Y'all enjoying this too much. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. The only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That word corrupting means rotten. Rotten. Let no rotten talk come out of your mouth. None of us like anything rotten. If I see a speck of black on my banana, I don't want to touch it. I just give the to B.J. Huh? <laughs> now, some people think this just means curse word. Where I'm from it's cuss word. You cuss, that's when you know what you're really doing. <laughs> Maybe, but he's going further than that. Anything that's demeaning, Paul says don't talk that way. I am so amazed at how Christian people, Christian spouses, can talk to one another when they are upset. And I'm guilty of it. I've had to repent plenty of times for corrupting talk to my wife, to my children. And one way to show the Christian life, a good Christian life to your children, is to be quick to repent. By the way, that's free. I don't care how heated it is. If you get to the point to where you're gonna start saying nasty, mean and ugly things, hush and say, I'll be back. Here's why I've been waiting for the last two months or the last week and a half, month and a half, to get to this sermon. Most issues in families boil down to communication. We just don't know how to talk to one another. Or simply, for some families, you just don't talk to one another. You only say, if you're not going to say something that's going to build your spouse up, your child up, it shouldn't come out of your mouth. Paul says, so that you can give grace the one who's here. Now, I, I, if this is easy to preach, but it's not easy to live out. I'm being trying to be so transparent right now. It is hard. Because as I told you a few weeks ago, for me, when I get in an argument, my initial goal is to win, right or wrong. I just want the W. what did I say? If you win, that means the other person lost. Is that really what you want for the person you love? Do you want them to be a loser? A win in the midst of disagreement is understanding and a mutually agreed upon solution. Now, Oh y'all keep adding to the sermon. I'm trying to shut this thing down. There will be times where you and her cannot agree. <laughs> of course, she wrong, but yeah, you don't agree. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm just playing. Listen to me. An application from what we heard Pastor Josh Black preach a few weeks ago. Ephesians 5 and 25. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Christ, loves the church. When a decision, there cannot be an agreed-upon decision and there's freedom given from the Word of God, if if there's a decision that needs to be made and the Bible says do this, then the decision's already been made. You do it. You obey. However, if there's freedom to make that decision and you have to exercise wisdom and God gives us that, and there cannot be an agreement made. Somebody's got to lead. And in that moment... I, I wish my wife could come here and preach for this so y'all don't think I'm just being a, a man, a chauvinistic here, being chauvinistic here. The man, you make the decision and you lead. Wives, that don't mean you just uh, have to agree. Hopefully, the way that man loves their wives across like the church is he has let her voice her opinion and her reasoning for why she wants to go a different direction. And they have dealt with that in sensible ways. And their communication has been done in grace-filled ways. A decision has to be made. God, in God's order, he has given leadership to the man in the marriage and in the home. Man, you lead your family. Now, you also got to deal with the consequences if you're wrong. Now, what I'm, what I'm trying to tell men is, our wives are, are right more than we really want to tell them. Or, uh, yeah, tell them. We know it, but we don't want to tell them that. The wise thing is, you better listen well. Hear me. Listen well. But if a decision can't be made, husbands, you have to lead, And wives, you got to follow. That's God's word, as best as I can read it, interpret it, and apply it. Somebody say something. Thank you, Lord. Speak words that build up, words that encourage. Finally, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. This is a command. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. I'm going to have to take whoever's in the nursery out to dinner this week. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. That word grieves means distress. Don't distress the Holy Spirit. The fact that the Holy Spirit can be grieved or distressed means that the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is inside you, and when you talk to somebody else in a corrupting, rotten way, you grieve the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, that is sin. Why would you grieve the one that has sealed you until the day of redemption? The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our future inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the seal. He he is what makes it sure that everything that God has promised for eternity will actually come to pass because we already received part of it in the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve them. Paul finally says, get rid of all that bitterness, anger, clamor, slander. Get rid of that. That's old man stuff. You're a new person in Christ. I'm going to say this and then we'll get out of here. Many of you, some of you, hopefully not many of you, refuse to deal with issues in your family. Unresolved issues, unresolved anger leads to resentment, anger, bitterness, I'm working with a couple right now. One of the spouses is like, I'm struggling. I, don't, I can't even say if I love my spouse right now. I told them, you love them. You, you don't like them very much at all. There's resentment, there's bitterness, and there's anger because all they do when they argue, they're trying to win. Here's what happens. I'm gonna give you, this is, this is some more free counseling and we're gonna stand up and leave. When you are having a disagreement With someone, but since this is a family series, we'll say with someone in your family, you should not speak until they have finished speaking. I'm going to let that sit for a second. The reason we have such poor communication in our families because we don't let one another finish speaking. Again, I was a big offender in this. Because remember, I just wanted to win. I wanted to be right. So Connie is giving this great argument, and before she can finish halfway through, I'm already thinking about, oh, I've thought about it, now I'm saying a counter-argument to that, even though she hasn't finished her argument. Poor communication is cutting one another off. You don't speak until the other person has finished speaking. Remember, the goal is to understand and be understood. One way you understand is not while they're talking, you start thinking of all the ways you're going to argue against them. That's not active listening. You're always trying to say, what are we really arguing about? Because one of the 90% of the things my wife and I have argued about, we have not been arguing about. That makes no sense, right? Exactly. We started arguing about, I thought we were arguing about whether we should have fried fish or baked fish. And the problem is I never cook fish. That was a poor example, but you get what I'm saying. How many times have you thought you were arguing about something to realize, wait a minute, we're talking about two different things right now. Because you haven't been listening. And the goal is always, what is really hurting my loved one? What are they really concerned about? I'm always trying to go beyond the surface. We are complicated people. And it's always, we're always continuing, I'm always continuing trying to peel back the onion. And I got a lot of layers to my onion. I'm always trying to peel back and say, what is really hurting my wife right now? Why is she really disturbed And upset right now. Now we get into loving your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, some of you, there's been a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in your family. Paul says this, and I'm done. Forgive. Now, forgiveness is not just sweeping sending others the rug. No, 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 no. Forgiveness is dealing with the issue, confession of sin, repentance. And now I'm counseling the debt that that person owes me because they've wronged me. Let's stand. Father, this is so hard to, to apply in the heat of the moment. But we need your Holy Spirit to just overpower our own wills or in our own flesh and give us the wisdom and the the power to, to listen well, to wait for the other person to voice their concerns, their hurt, their pain, whatever it may be. God, we want to just really represent Christ well. Father, every day, my hope is to represent Christ to my wife. God, I, I oftentimes fail and don't do that. There are many more in this room that share. That. So, Father, right now we ask God that you will forgive us for our sins, our specific failures in poorly communicating with one another. We, God, pray, we pray right now that there will be some truthful, authentic, loving, gentle, but necessary conversation in families where you will be glorified, Christ will be honored, the individuals. There will be dignity that's affirmed. Father, thank you so much that you've given us your word that shows us, that tells us how we are to live and that we're a part of your family. God, for that person who may not yet know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do a great work, convince them and convict them of their need for salvation. And know that in order to be saved from the wrath of God, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and they might be saved immediately, fully, finally, eternally. God, for those of us who have already been saved, Father, now we pray that we not just might be hearers of your word, but doers as well. Show us, convict us of our wrongs, how we can apply this word today thank you for the time we've had together to worship together you and you alone in Jesus name we pray amen you are sent thanks for being here have a great week